Welcome to SGMS Talks. This podcast is published by the academic journal Scandinavian Journal of Military Studies. In this episode, we are going to discuss foreign fighters, their motivation and use, historically, but also more specifically in the Ukraine war. The war changed the public perspective on foreign fighters. Before the Russian invasion, foreign fighters were mainly characterized as terrorists who were fighting in the civil war in Syria and with the Islamic State. The individuals joining the Ukrainian military, on the other hand, are largely presented as idealistic citizens fighting for freedom. And many politicians, such as the Danish Prime Minister Mette Frederiksen, have promised not to prosecute the volunteers. Last month, the Norwegian newspaper VG reported about Sandra, who had traveled from the most northern part of mainland Norway to Ukraine to fight with the 37th Brigade of the Ukrainian Marine Corps. But why do Sandra and others join wars? What drives them? And to what end are they being used? Back in 2022, SGMS fast-tracked a special collection in Ukraine. In it, PhD student at the University of Cambridge, Naman Karl Thomas Haptum, wrote an article about the demographic constitution, structure and role of the pro-Ukrainian foreign fighters that are believed to be fighting in Ukraine. Even though foreign fighters is not a new phenomenon, Naman suggests that Ukraine might signal a remodeling of the tradition. Normally, it is the diaspora that travel back to their home country to fight as volunteers. But in Ukraine, they're not the main group. Naman further argues that these foreign fighters are first and foremost a way for Ukraine to internationalize the conflict. There's little to suggest that they are actually improving the operational capacity and effect of the Ukrainian military. We caught up with Naman at the SJMS conference NATO in the Nordics at Södertörn University to ask him what's currently going on with foreign fighters in Ukraine. Naman, welcome to our podcast. Thank you very much. You've been interested in foreign fighters in different kinds of, war- of wars. Um, you write your PhD about Swedes in the Yugoslavian wars, right? Um, and you wrote an article in SJMS about foreign fighters in Ukraine. What is so interesting about foreign fighters? I think there's the question of why do people fight wars in general? And I think for some people it's very obvious, you know, you fight for your country, you fight for adventure, unemployment, but the question always arises for why would someone fight for a different country or in a different war, especially when it's far away from your own? And I think uh, Ukraine, Yugoslav wars or you know, Syria, Iraq, these all raise the same question. And it's just fascinating to see how, why do some people do it and not others? So, so why do you do it? So, in or how, why do they do it? Particularly in in Ukraine, right? Because in in Ukraine, we've seen, as as you write in your article, that that there's an inflow on both sides, right? Um, so, who is joining or being recruited to join uh, in in Ukraine, and 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 why? So, I think for the ones joining on the Ukrainian side, it's oftentimes it's mostly Westerners, so it's particularly Europeans. Sometimes it's people also from Eastern Europe, you know, Poles, Belarusians, who also view Russia's threat. But you also have others who just view Russia's threat, but more broadly in Europe. And so, for example, you have Scandinavians who think, well, Ukraine is fighting our war, we'll fight them over there as well. Uh, I think for others, there's also adventure. Uh, people who just grew up wanting to be soldiers and maybe they fought in arm, maybe they were serving in armies where they didn't have the chance to fight or they just never joined the military in the first place. So this is just an express ticket. Uh, for others, it might just be unemployment as well. Uh, or having nothing better to do, <laughs> to be honest. 
Um, for some, particularly on the Russian side, it might be citizenship. That might be a path similar to, say, the French Foreign Legion, you could also argue. And for others, uh, also in Russia, it could be, for example, avoiding prison sentence if you're being recruited straight from jail. Yeah. There are a range of reasons, but there's also the view of um, sort of the Cold War logic also carrying over a bit, so viewing Russia still as the Soviet Union, and sort of, well, why not just fight now then? Makes sense. So for uh, regular people like me, when, when we hear foreign fighters, um, we think, think of Syria and Iraq and, and those uh, joining uh, both Bashar al-Assad or the Islamic State or the Kurdish um, movements there. But historically, Scandinavians have traveled to fight in the Spanish Civil War and in the Winter War in Finland and the Balkan Wars. So what are the differences between the fighters that are traveling to Ukraine and the, all the other well-known historical cases where Scandinavians have gone abroad to fight? So in the case of the Spanish Civil War, it's much more ideological, particularly the ones joining on the Republican side. It's about fighting for communism, socialism, or against Nazism. And you can see the same argument on the other side during the war, Second World War when Scandinavians joined the Waffen SS. So for them, it's very ideological. In the case of the Winter War, I would argue it's much more geographic. And I think this is true in a broad sense for all the conflicts. So Scandinavians or Europeans in general are more likely to fight in other European conflicts. Uh, Islamic State is a slightly different story. But in general, geography plays a role. And I think for a lot of Swedes, uh, fighting the Winter War was almost like fighting for Sweden as well. There's also an organizational principle where since uh, the Swedish government is quite heavily involved in organizing the so-called volunteers. In the case of Ukraine, I think it's a continuation of this tradition of um, Ukraine creates a context where it's easy to get to the front. You're fighting for people who sort of look like yourself, who have maybe uh, shared what you see as shared values. And there's also like a historic memory of Russia in a particular way. In the case of the Balkans, uh, there's a mix. Uh, it could also be ethnicity, so people whose parents might be from the former Yugoslavia are wanting to go down and sort of fighting for your homeland, your ancestral homeland. How much recruitment is in it? Because recently news uh, has been floating around about Russia actively trying to recruit foreign fighters. Mm. Is that the same on the Ukrainian side, or is it something that's particularly Russian in this context? If anything, I think it's a reverse. It's mainly Ukrainians in the beginning. Okay. I think this is this shift that's happened. So in, uh, I think the next day after the conflict began, the Ukrainians openly said, if you're a foreigner, please join our side. Uh, very quickly, they sort of scaled that down. Uh, it wasn't very helpful, I think. And the, the risk to Ukraine was also diminished, you know, like the risk of Kiev falling. So I think that declined. But they're still, it's still officially open. Uh, there was some pushback from some countries, particularly in Africa, for example, they didn't want their citizens recruited by Ukraine. In the case of Russia, uh, most of the recruitment has happened within Russia, actually. So it's mostly foreigners who are already in the Russian Federation. There's, uh, there's been talk at various points, for example, recruiting Syrians uh, during the spring of uh, 2022, but that just didn't happen in the end. I think there's also um, a growing desire in the side of Russia, particularly from Central Asia, and this is a way of preventing, uh, avoiding another mobilization, for example, reducing uh, casualties of your own citizens. So there's been a shift towards the Russian side, but um, it's not been a central part of either side, I think, at the moment. Oh, okay. But so, so talk me through it, right? So who do they fight with? So if I'm a Swede and I want to join, like what's the process? Who am I fighting with? How is it organized in the process for me wanting to support in whatever cause that you have uh, listed? Like, how does it then yeah. translate into me being on the battlefield? 
So I think there are two ways um, on both sides. In the case of the Ukrainian side, one is to join the Ukrainian military, so they have their international legion. And you're supposed to contact them ahead of time, usually through the embassy, you know, provide some information, especially now that they don't have the same need, so they're trying to filter people out. Uh, in the beginning, people are you know, just showing up by the border as well. Another option is to join some of these you know, volunteer battalions or mil sort of militias. Now, they've been increasingly integrated into the Ukrainian military and command, so this has become less prominent, but that still exists. You have, say, a Georgian legion or uh, you also a Chechen legion. So these are sort of self-organized and you just have to make contact directly. On the Russian side, you again have two paths, and so one is for the Russian military itself. You just go through a normal recruitment process uh, and sign up. Another one is through these private military companies, you know, Wagner being the most famous, obviously. Uh, you just go to one of their recruitment office. There's no other groups that have also come up, um, reduced to other companies that exist in Russia. But yeah, you just basically go almost like a private employee, I suppose. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Um, so Putin calls the foreign fighters fighting for Ukraine mercenaries, right? And Russia has sentenced two foreign fighters, one Brit and a Moroccan, uh, to death. But what's the difference between a foreign fighter and a mercenary? So, um, generally speaking, a mercenary is someone who uh, is not a citizen of a country, uh, essentially fighting for money. That's sort of the broad sense of it. They're not part of the military either. So there's a distinction between those who volunteer to uh, armed forces versus those who just join a militia and being paid for it. In the case of this conflict, it's sort of being used very loosely uh, on both sides, to be honest. Um, I mean, I would argue a lot of the ones fighting in, on the Ukraine side are not mercenaries in the traditional sense. They're, they're not necessarily soldiers in the conventional, as in they haven't necessarily gone through training or uh, recruitment, but they're nonetheless part of the traditional structures of the armed forces. I would say there's also legal protection. So you know, mer um, being a mercenary is against the law, um, both against the law internationally, but also oftentimes within countries as well. So this raises another issue. Mercenaries, for example, are not uh, protected by, say, the Geneva Conventions on terms of the treatment of prisoners of war, which is the justifications that, uh, say, the Donetsk uh, People's Republic used for sentencing these two men, is that, um, well, we don't have to treat the same way we treat the Ukrainian prisoners, for example. Mm, okay. Um, you said before that in the beginning, um, there were Ukraine was recruiting these foreign fighters, but they stopped because the operational effects were not that great. So a year and a half into the war, what would um, what would Zelensky say about the contribution from these foreign fighters? So I think there are two answers. One is the public answer, and the other one is the honest private answer. So in the public answer, I think it would say, see, we're already working in the West. We have already this great collaboration. Your war is our war, vice versa. And um, there's this a reason why we should join the EU and NATO. I think that's the one side. In practice, I, would, I think it would say they haven't really offered much materially. If they all left overnight, nothing would really change. Okay, interesting. Well, we've, we, we have arrived at the last question um, of this podcast. What are you reading at the moment? So at the moment, I'm reading a book by Carl Bildt, the former prime minister. Uh, he wrote a book called Mina Krieg, or My Wars, sort of summarizing his various diplomatic rules. And I'm also reading another book in French uh, called Projet Votan, which is about uh, the first private um, space company, essentially like sort of predecessor Tesla, or no, no, SpaceX, excuse me, uh, created in the 1970s by a West German. Sort of, yeah, quite interesting. Thank you, Naman Haptum, for being our guest on this podcast episode of STNS. 
Thank you very much. This podcast was brought to you by the Scandinavian Journal of Military Studies. It was produced by Jeppe Tejsgaard Jacobsen, Ravni Lome, music by Jens Bjerring. SGMS is an online open access journal publishing both high quality research and practice oriented studies relevant to the military profession. Visit us at sjms.nu. Thank you for listening.